Hello beautiful people, you are listening to the voice of David Odejai. I'm the host of Half Court Hustle, the basketball podcast dedicated to bringing you top tier news and analysis. I'm excited to be here today because basketball is back with a vengeance. That's right, yesterday was the season opening of the NBA and what a way to start other than to begin with the LA Lakers versus the LA Clippers duel to set the tone for the rest of the season. We'll get there, but before that, you already know where to find me. Follow me on Instagram and on Twitter using the handles at Half Court Hustle. Give your boy a follow. Keep the conversation going. Okay, so look, we have a lot to get through in this show, uh, but I'm going to start with Game of the Week. So each week, I'm going to be looking at the best game of the week, giving you a breakdown of how a team's performed, how the main players have performed, blah, 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 blah. And we're going to start out with the Lakers and the Clippers. So the Clippers came out on top 112 to 102 in a game that did not disappoint. Heroes of the box score, Kawhi Leonard, with an impressive debut, came out with 30 points, five rebounds, uh, six rebounds, sorry, five assists, two steals, and a block, absolutely filling up that box score. Uh, Lou Williams came out as well, 21 points on 57% shooting. He looked absolutely unstoppable, when he had his game going, followed closely behind by Montres Harrell, who also put in 17 points, including a very timely 10 points in that fourth quarter. Uh, the Lakers fell to the Clippers by 10 points. Uh, but despite that, they got some very impressive performances, particularly out of Danny Green, who shot the lights out. 28 points including a ridiculous 78% from the three-point line. The Green Ranger came out and made his mark on the court yesterday evening. Anthony Davis putting up an impressive box score as well, 25 points with 10 rebounds, but really had a poor shooting performance. His point totals were held up by the fact that he was just getting to the free throw line whenever he wanted. Uh, LeBron James, damn near put up close to a triple-double. 18 points, 9 rebounds and 8 assists. But like AD, also had a very poor night from... Uh, just just had a very poor shooting night. Uh, neither AD nor LeBron had a second half to remember. And if not for the absolutely ridiculous shooting performance of Danny Green, this game would not have been as close as it, as it was. So yeah, as I said, this game absolutely didn't disappoint. It was a wild ride, really from start to finish. It was like watching two heavyweight boxes just take turns to smash each other in the face. It just felt like whenever one team went on a run, um, you know, the Clippers would go on an 8-0 run, then the Lakers would come back with a 10-2 run, like they were just trading blows back and forth. The Lakers came out swinging, particularly in the first quarter. Early in that first quarter, it just looked like their size was a bit too much for the Clippers to handle. 
AD was just coming out and, and dominating with his size and speed and just causing a hell of a lot of mismatch problems for the Clippers on the offensive side of the ball. And to start, the Clippers just looked a bit directionless. Kawhi came out soft in the early beginning and they just couldn't really get out to a rhythm. So the Lakers took an early lead. And unsurprisingly, for those of you who followed the Clippers last season, the team didn't really get themselves together until Lou Williams took the floor and he just came out, started running pick and rolls with Montrezl Harrell. And all of a sudden, the Clippers just came to life. Kawhi Leonard just came out and, and scored whenever he wanted from wherever he wanted. Patrick Beverly was a nuisance on the perimeter, on the defensive end of the ball, and he was making his presence felt. Um, so the Clippers took a lead going into the second half. Um, but the Lakers came back and in, most impressively, the Lakers came back off the back of a 15 to nothing run while LeBron James was on the bench, largely thanks to that ridiculous shooting performance from Danny Green, which I spoke about just now. So they came out, punched the Clippers in the mouth in that third quarter. And things were tied 85 apiece going into the fourth. But the Clippers would pull away off the back of some impressive play by Montres Harrell, who were just receiving dimes from Lou Williams, showing off his strength, uh, hitting one and one, and really just imposing his will on the Lakers. Danny Green kept it going strong in the fourth quarter. He hit a couple of threes. Sorry, he hit a timely three and had a couple of uh, big baskets as well. But after AD and LeBron cooled down, the Lakers just didn't have enough going for them offensively to really to really match the Clippers. The Clippers took an 11-point lead around the middle of the fourth quarter and really just didn't look back. Um, the Lakers struggled. Oddly, the Lakers struggled on the offensive boards late into that fourth quarter. Patrick Beverly, who, who finished with a ton of rebounds, came up with some, some big boards late as well and the Lakers just could not mount anything close to a run late in the game. Uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron James, both after hot starts in the first half, really fell off going into the third and fourth. In the fourth quarter especially, LeBron only had two points and Anthony Davis laid a goose egg in the fourth quarter, no, no points for him. And yet that was the tale. This Clippers team too much offensively for the for the Lakers to, to handle. Despite the Lakers looking impressive in the stretches and despite their imposing size, uh, the Clippers just weren't phased and were able to take the first battle of LA. Just some observations on my part. Lakers are they're a tall team. <laughs> and I know I, I keep saying this, but hey, it's basketball and, and, and height is important. Uh, when you have LeBron James running, running basically de facto point guard, when you have him bringing up the ball and initiating the offense with JaVale McGee at the five and Anthony Davis at the four, uh, that is an imposing front court combination and causes a lot of mismatch problems when they're on the floor. There were a couple of times early in that first quarter where LeBron James would just bring the ball up and 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 just bully Patrick Beverly on the way to the on the way to the rim. Um, he was dropping 
sharp passes to Danny Green. Anthony Davis, it didn't seem to matter who was guarding him. He made mincemeat of uh, Patrick Patterson uh, a couple of times and Jermichael Green did his best to, to front him as well, but it didn't matter whether you played him straight up or whether you sent a double team. Anthony Davis was just going to get to the line and that size just looked like it was going to overwhelm the Clippers in the in the early part of the game. And it reminds me a little bit of, if we're going to talk about Lakers parallels, if you remember the sort of the, the Kobe Bryant teams in the late part of the noughties, like when you had Lamar Odom, Pau Gasol and Andrew Bynum, part of the reason why they were so dominant was just they were so much bigger than everybody else and they were difficult to guard and difficult to score against. And, you know, when you've got McGee, uh, who had a couple of couple of impressive blocks in the, in the first quarter as well, uh, he looked, he's looking like a, like a sharp and competent centre. Um, definitely somebody who's going to be an asset playing alongside the playmaking abilities of LeBron James. He had a, I remember there was one play where he just rolled to the hoop because the Clippers' defense was so concerned with the LeBron to AD connection. JaVale was just able to grab the ball and dunk it um, pretty much uncontested. Lou Williams, I will, with some amount of shame, admit that I didn't watch a lot of the Clippers last year. Like I didn't really catch them up until their playoff series with Golden State. So I knew Lou Williams was good, but I hadn't seen much of him with my own eyes. And look, he looked, he looked impressive. He just, whenever the ball hit his hands, it just looked like, it felt like he was going to score and he was able to get to the basket. He's very smart. He's able to just draw fouls and trick defenders into jumping up into the air. He hit mid-range shots. He hit three-point shots. He was just looking incredibly sharp. And that Lou Williams, Montress Harrell pick and roll was the really the soul of this Clippers offense last season. And looks like it's going to continue to be an asset this season. And when you pair that with the offensive juggernauts in the form of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, boy, this, this team is... This team is going to be a problem. And just forget for a moment the star power of the Clippers. I just love the energy and hustle that these guys play with, especially when you look at guys like Montrezl Harrell and Patrick Beverly in particular. Like, it's just hard to watch this team and not like the effort that they put forward. Um, Patrick Beverly, I think at one point, fearless just ad was barreling into the lane and patrick beverly just steps up and and takes the charge and he's barking he's in people's faces he's just a hundred percent on all the time that, that kind of that kind of kevin garnett level intensity you know it's enjoyable to see man like who doesn't love that competitive spirit in in basketball that's why we're all sports fans right like it is really good to see and listen, the Lakers, when they were clicking, they looked in, They looked really good. When AD was able to just grab the ball, spin around for a mid-range shot, or just put his head down, uh, head to the rim, like it, it just didn't look like there was anybody else on the floor who was able to match him, really. When LeBron James was, was 
on his vibe and finding open three-point shooters. They just they just looked like they clicked. And I can imagine, you know, this is only the first game of the season. Once they have a little bit more match time under their belt, once they've had a chance to sort of get acclimatized towards each other, I can see this Lakers team being a real problem for the league. One of the interesting things actually about watching this Lakers team is just seeing how good they are without LeBron James on the floor. Really the hallmark of any LeBron James team, pretty much all of, pretty much every LeBron James team you can think of really outside of those Miami teams in the earlier part of the decade. The hallmark of a LeBron James team is that they pretty much crumble when he's not on the floor, right? So watching Anthony Davis, you know, just hold the fort while LeBron was on the bench, watching Danny Green pour in that three-point shooting explosion, that should mean LeBron James has a much lighter scoring burden in terms of actually scoring and in terms of just running the offense because you can happily, happily play an inside-out game starting with Anthony Davis in the post, him working his his magic and either getting to the rim or giving the ball up to a Kyle Kuzma when he's he's back on the team or to uh, Jared Dudley or uh, Danny Green for a corner three. And, you know, they still have those offensive pieces and that should mean that, it should mean that you don't need to put as many miles onto those LeBron James legs in order for the Lakers to win. The smart thing, I guess, would just be to stagger Davis and James's minutes so that at least one of them is on the floor at any one time. It's also great to see that the Lakers have a lot more three-point shooting potential uh, with the addition of Danny Green and Jared Dudley, who also hit a couple of uh, threes in this game as well. With the addition of those guys, hopefully that means that LeBron and Anthony Davis have easy targets. They they can just work their magic on the inside, hit somebody for an open three and, and splash. Last year, the Lakers weren't a fantastic three-point shooting team because one, they didn't have that many certified three-point gunners. And even the players that were uh, decent three-point shooters had off years. So, you know, if they're able to turn that around, that, that could bode very well for their offenses as well. Can I just say how much I love watching Kawhi Leonard play? Like, this guy is a joy to watch. He plays with a level of ruthless efficiency. And he's just able to throw defenders off balance, but stop on a dime, maintain his own balance, and just hit a shot like he's in the gym shooting practice shots. It's incredible to watch. And he makes it look so effortless. I've said a lot about... Well, I've said a lot about the core, really. I've said a lot about Kawhi Leonard. I've said a lot about uh, Lou Williams. But the guys on the periphery of the uh, Clippers offense are very impressive as well. Mo Harkless came out and he had a great game. He shot uh, 67% from three. He hit two of his three-pointers. A couple of them are really timely baskets uh, and helped the Clippers build some momentum, particularly in the middle of the game. He had four steals as well. So, you know, he was getting it done on the defensive end too. Uh, Landry Shamet, who last year was the best three-point shooting rookie in the league. He showed signs of keeping that form going. He shot 50% from, from deep in this game as well. So the Clippers are looking pretty deep. Um, this is a roster that is strong on both ends of the ball and they're 
they're just going to be a giant problem for this conference. So let's wrap up here. Like, you never want to overreact to one game. But it should be clear to anybody who's watching this that the Clippers are going to be dangerous. And in my mind, they are the favourites to win the, the Western Conference. And perhaps even the favourites to win the title. They're, they're looking really good. And bear in mind, this is all without Paul George, who's been sidelined, I think now for at least 10 games. So he's going to be out for, for a, a few weeks. But can you imagine what this Clippers team is going to look like when he's back? Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Lou Williams, Montres Harrell, uh, Patrick Beverly on defense. It's This roster is just stacked. And I'm really excited to see how they're going to, uh, how this is going to play out in, in the months to come. But that doesn't mean that the Lakers should panic either. Um, like, they, like I said, the Lakers had their moments in this game. Anthony Davis and LeBron, that, that is a two-headed dragon. And they're going to be potent. I don't have any doubt about that. I know they had a really bad second-half performance, but I doubt that will be repeated too frequently. Their new acquisitions are looking sharp as well, with the exception of a, a quite poor performance from, from Quinn Cook. Their new guys seem to be clicking. Watching LeBron James connect with Danny Green from three will be uh, fun to watch. So listen, like this Lakers team, I don't have uh, many worries. I don't think they're as good as the Clippers this year. And this Western Conference in general is just going to be uber competitive. So we'll see where they end up. But this is going to be a good team. I have no doubt about it. So... With Game of the Week wrapped up and done, it is now time for some predictions. Do I know what is going to happen in this loaded Western Conference? Now, of course, the answer is a big fat no. I don't and nobody else does. Is that going to stop me from making my predictions? Of course not. You know me better than that. Um, so the way we're going to do this is I'm going to go through the first half of my Western Conference predictions this week, and then I will leave the rest for next week. But I'll, I'll go through my full rankings now, and then we can have a chat about some of the top teams in the conference. I'll dive a little bit deeper into the rosters and see who is going to be looking spicy this year. But I've got the Clippers at number one for the reasons that I've, I've just said. We've, we've talked about the Clippers in some depth, so I won't repeat any of that here. The Utah Jazz are going to be looking very good indeed. So I've got them as number two, actually, over the LA Lakers. Ooh, controversial. Um, but I've got the Lakers at number three. I've got Denver at number four. And the Rockets at number five. And I know that some of you are going to be thinking Russell Westbrook and James Harden, two former MVPs, and Rockets are going to be the number five seed, David, really? I've spoken about the Rockets in some length, I think, in episode four. So definitely go and check out that discussion if you haven't heard it already. But um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sold on the Russell Westbrook, James Harden experiment working just yet. My hope for that team is that Russ manages to cut out some of his more boneheaded, long two-point shots. 
because I think that guy is just such an amazing playmaker and his athleticism is so disruptive. It can open up a lot of opportunities for teammates. And Russ has said that he is willing to work without the ball. But we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. I've got the Trailblazers at number six. I just don't think they've taken much of a step forward during the offseason. And so many other teams in the Western Conference have taken a step forward. I've got the Golden State Warriors at number seven, which, um, yeah, between the Rockets and the Golden State Warriors, those two teams are incredibly difficult to rank. I have It is just not 100% clear how good those teams are going to be. And with the Warriors in particular, thinking about how well uh, D'Angelo Russell will stack up next to Steph Curry and whether or not Clay Thompson is 100% of his former self when he comes back from injury after the All-Star break. And whether we get a return to MVP Steph Curry, like there's a lot of things that are up in the air with that team. Losing veterans like KD, obviously, but even losing guys like Andre Iguodala, that's going to hurt a little bit. But, you know, you still have the hugely versatile and amazing defensive player in in Draymond Green. So they might look better than I'm giving them credit for um, this year. And then... Well, the the hardest decision I've had to make in this in this bloody rankings is is who's going to take the last spot because you've got the San Antonio Spurs, you've got the Sacramento Kings, you've got Dallas potentially, and you've got the New Orleans Pelicans who have almost had at number eight, but you know with Zion's injury and the unfortunate looming specter of you know is this guy going to be Blake Griffin this year? Is he is he just not going to be able to? stay on the floor for his, his rookie season. I think that has put a lot of question marks in my mind over the, the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, the race for that eighth seed is going to be absolutely mentally close. But um, I've put San Antonio as taking the eighth seed just because, listen, I am absolutely tired of underestimating these Spurs teams. It seems like whenever we expect them to fall off, uh, pop and just just manages to find a way to get the most out of his roster. Um, Deontay Murray, who amazing player, love that guy. Uh, he was injured for a lot of last year, so you know he'll come in and and be a boost to the Spurs as well. Um, and that's just what sort of tipped it over the edge for me. I know Sacramento has some pretty impressive pieces. I haven't <laughs> I haven't liked what I've seen in terms of their contractual disputes with uh, Buddy Heald, who is an amazing shooter and one of their key pieces. So I don't know how that will affect uh, locker room chemistry. But yeah, that is that, that is my eight. I've got Clippers number one, Jazz number two, uh, Lakers at the three, um, Denver Nuggets taking the fourth seed, uh, Houston at the five. And, you know, that that is one of those massive asterisks. You know, who, who knows how, how good that team is going to look. I've got Portland at the six, uh, Golden State Warriors taking the seventh seed, and the San Antonio Spurs rounding out the playoff picture. So let's take a closer look at some of the teams on this list. I'm going to start with the Utah Jazz because actually that's a team I've not had the opportunity to speak about too much in the episodes that I've done so far. So taking a look at this Utah team, The obvious buzzword is defense. Last year, Utah had the single best defensive rating in the entire league. 
And the catalyst for that is obvious. They had uh, Defensive Player of the Year, Rudy Gobert, absolutely smashing it in the paint. And, you know, that looks set to continue this year. I know they've lost a couple of key defensive pieces in Derek Favors and Jay Crowder, but I don't have any reason to, to believe that uh, this Utah team is going to be anything less than stellar defensively this year. So no, def defense is not the problem for this Utah team. The issue was their offensive rating. They were pretty mediocre on that part. And part of it was to do with the fact that outside of Donovan Mitchell, you don't have much in the way of bona fide shot creators on this team. Uh, particularly when you have, and I'm sorry to rag on him, uh, starting point guard Ricky Rubio just did not have a great shooting performance at all. To the extent that opposing defenses would sag off of this guy and just beg him to shoot. Now, obviously, that reduces the amount of space that the other players have to, to create shots for themselves. And uh, that would have weighed down the offense as well. Enter stage left, Michael Conley from the Memphis Grizzlies. Perhaps the best player to never make an all-star team. You know, Conley's still 31. He's got a lot of productive years ahead of him. He is a good scorer and shot above league average from the three-point line last season. So you've got to think that Conley, with his playmaking ability and scoring ability, will take a lot of the heat off of Donovan Mitchell when Utah are going up against opposing defenses. Conley adds to the team defensively as well. When you look at the Memphis Grizzlies in the first half of last season... Both Conley and Marc Gasol formed part of one of the, the best defensive lineups in the entire league for that part of the year. They've added Bojan Bogdanovic as well. Bojan Bogdanovic. I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce his name. Please don't at me. I'm sorry, Bojan, if that is not how you say it. But he's going to be an important addition as well and going to add some quality three-point shooting to go alongside Joe Ingles who is a certified sniper from that distance. Utah's front court depth, little bit of a question mark. Losing Derek Favors doesn't hurt on... Sorry, losing Derek Favors does hurt on that, on that side of the ball because he was an excellent backup center for Rudy Gobert. They've added Ed Davis, and he is both a really good rebounder and a very competent defender, so he could work for Utah... But yeah, the outlook for Utah, they're going to continue to dominate defensively. They've added pieces that are going to improve them offensively as well. So when you combine the two, elite defense, good offense, it's hard to see anything other than good things happening for this team. Maybe not the biggest factor, but something to be noted is that both Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell had pretty productive stints in the FIBA World Cup tournament this year. I would have thought that that experience would be positive for them when they're going into close playoff games late in the season. And I think even in this absolute bloodbath of a Western Conference, I've got Utah, I've got Utah top three at least. So that's Utah. And their first game, I believe, is against the Oklahoma City Thunder on Thursday. So keep an eye open for that. That'll be a good opening test for them. Moving on now to the Denver Nuggets, who I have as number four in my rankings over 
the Houston Rockets. In terms of notable additions, not a whole lot of change to this roster. They've added uh, Bol Bol, the son of former NBA center Manute Bol, who unfortunately I believe is still is still injured. I think the reason that they were able to, to get him so low in the draft, despite him being actually quite a very talented college player, was just was just, just concerns about injury. So we'll see if he's able to get much playing time at all. Jeremy Grant, who comes off the back of a quite a productive season with the Oklahoma City Thunder playing alongside Russell Westbrook and Paul George. Hopefully he's able to come in and uh, make a positive impact. But listen, for the most part, this Denver team has stood pat. They're largely the same as they were last season. And that is a little bit of a double-edged factor because consistency is great. Players that stick together, play well together, grow together, have good chemistry. They're used to playing with each other. They know each other's tendencies. Keeping that consistency going is undoubtedly a good thing. And last year, Denver were a great team. Their offense was absolutely scorching thanks to the maestro-like playmaking abilities of, of center Nikola Jokic. I probably don't have to tell you much about him. He's an uh, absolutely amazing passer. 22-year-old Jamal Murray, he took another step forward last season. So those two anchoring uh, a top 10 uh, offense last year was really good for Denver. I've spoken about their continuity. Uh, so the question is really, look, can this band smash out another hit single? And given that the Western Conference is so much more competitive this year, I can't see Denver, you know, making a repeat of last season when they were, I believe, the number two seed uh, winning 54 games. They definitely have their work cut out for them to, to match that win total. So look, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, one thing to note, actually, is that Denver were really clutch last year, like incredibly clutch. One of the most clutch teams in the league, you know, clutch meaning what is what is the definition of clutch I've got here? So a team entering the last five minutes of the game when both teams are sort of within five points of each other. In those situations, Denver won 67% of their games, which was actually the highest percentage in the entire league. And then when you add on top of that, the fact that they had a really good net rating, i.e. they scored a lot more points than their opponents on average, you can see why they took the number two seed last year. And so, listen, this is going to continue to be a really good team. I don't think there should be any real doubt about that. Whether they can keep pace with some of the additions that have been made in the West remains to be seen. I think a really good bellwether is going to be their opening game against the Portland Trailblazers also on Thursday. So if you've got league pass, keep your eyes glued to that one. But yeah, I got them at number four. If you think I'm wrong, give me a shout. Let me know. Let's let's keep this conversation going. Let's let's keep it going. But that is that, guys. It's been a fantastic opening to the season. That first game really set the tone. I'm excited to see what is going to happen, particularly out west. And yeah, thank you for listening. Once again, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at Half Court Hustle. I'll be back next week. But until then, see you later.